0: Welcome to the Barry Sax Show. Thanks for joining me on the Barry Sax Show. I'm Barry Cockcroft, and I'll be hosting this podcast with guest saxophonists from around the world. We will be exploring the stories behind these great musicians, with telling insights into how they got started and the ongoing development of their careers. Thanks for being here on this adventure, and please subscribe for a new episode each week. The details of each episode, including a transcript, the show notes, and any links, can be found at barrysax.com. Hello, saxophone players and friends. This episode happened a little bit by chance. You might know that one of my favorite questions is to ask people whether things have occurred through a plan or by chance. And I think for me, certainly a lot of things have happened, I guess, by one opportunity leading to another. Now, this interview really goes back a long way because when I was in high school, (laughs) we did, that was a long time ago, we did a school band tour and we visited Hawaii, all the way from Australia, which was quite a big deal. And my saxophone teacher, Barry Curry, had organized a saxophone workshop with the teacher at the University of Hawaii. And during this class, I learned about reeds, uh, scraping reeds, making reeds, that kind of thing. And it stuck in my mind as really the, the first time I'd attended a classical saxophone workshop. So it was a lot of fun. Now, many years later, I was in Honolulu and I thought, the University of Hawaii, that rings a bell. So I got in contact with Todd and he was kind enough to agree to an interview at very short notice And he took me once again to the University of Hawaii, completing that big circle. So it was quite a personal experience for me and, of course, great to meet Todd and also to visit the university once again after so many years. Todd Yukimoto is lecturer of saxophone at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, where he teaches applied saxophone and directs the University of Hawaii Saxophone Choir. He is also a saxophonist in the Royal Hawaiian Band, the only full-time municipal band in the United States. Chod received a bachelor's degree in secondary music education from the University of Hawaii at Manoa and went on to receive a master's degree in saxophone performance from the University of Texas at Austin, where he studied with renowned classical saxophonist, Harvey Patel. He's performed with the Austin Symphony Orchestra, the Austin Civic Orchestra, the Hawaiian Symphony Orchestra, and is a versatile jazz musician, also performs with local and visiting artists. For a number of years, he has played regularly with the well known Hawaiian rock band Kalapana and has released several commercial recordings. Todd founded the not for profit Hawaii Saxophone Foundation with a mission to raise the level of awareness and education of the saxophone with the emphasis on classical music in Hawaii. Please welcome my guest today, Todd Yukimoto. Thank you very much for agreeing to have this conversation. You know, I was just passing through in a, in a way and it's great to be here in Hawaii and to be able to talk with not just a Hawaiian, but someone who's teaching saxophone as well oh. in the state. It's so, great to be here. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Todd. And could you perhaps tell us how you got started on the saxophone in the first place?
1: Well, like most students uh, growing up to school at my age, we didn't have many other options we didn't have iphones and and uh video games in our home so band was very popular and that was something that i was interested in since i can remember Uh, music was always a fascination for me i remember being in kindergarten and sitting at a listening station and hearing music and just being transported to just another place. And I was so enamored with music and that sound. I remember just a feeling from when I was five years old and listening to music. So when I got to intermediate school, what they call middle school now, uh, I signed up for band class. My brother who was older played trumpet. So he was in band already and I just thought it was fantastic and I wanted to be part of that. So I started intermediate school and high school went on to college at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and uh, subsequently went on and got my master's degree at the University of Texas at Austin. So was alto sax your first instrument? Yeah, yeah. alto sax is still my primary instrument. I mean, how did you
0: choose that instrument? Did someone just assign you one, or were you drawn to it?
1: You know, I didn't know that much about saxophone, but since I was a pretty small kid, I think alto was the choice. Yeah. Yeah, and still, yeah, for me playing tenor and baritone, feels kind of unwieldy at times, they're big horns, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, to this day, I prefer soprano because I'm not very tall, Mm -hmm. so soprano is perfect for me.
1: Yeah, soprano is (laughs) great.
0: So, did you have a specialist saxophone teacher to begin with in the band program?
1: Not in the band program, and it took a while for us to find a teacher that was available because band programs were big and everybody was taking lessons and there weren't that many teachers available. So it took quite a while for for us to find somebody that, that would actually take me as a student, which was, I felt always very disappointed that nobody wanted to take me on as a student. And we found uh, my first saxophone teacher, his name is Gordon Tokishi. He took me on as a student and he was the the perfect teacher for me at that time because I had a lot of unfocused energy as you as we want to call it, and he really helped direct me and put that energy into my music, so I was very grateful for that, and actually, that really kind of shapes my my being now because I remember what it was like to not be able to have a teacher so whenever anybody asks for lessons, I always try to, if not for myself, try to make sure that they find a teacher because I remember, I still remember that. It was not a great feeling. So, to this day, as if I cannot take the student, I will recommend someone. I will help them uh, through emails and phone calls and just keep trying to work it through so that they find somebody. Do
0: you think there is the right teacher for each student? Is it really important that they find you know, the right person for them?
1: Overall, I would say, yeah. You have to find somebody that really speaks to you as a player and a person. I think that's very important. And I was lucky that I had the teachers that I did. And uh, timing is important. I wouldn't have been successful uh, leaving Hawaii to study at a younger age, I think. I think I needed some time to develop as a person as well.
0: Now you did your bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. In, was it music education?
1: Yeah, music education.
0: So, did you have a plan? I mean, were you, were you thinking, yes, I'm going to be a music teacher? Definitely.
1: I was going to be a high school band director. Right. I was, I was all set to, to become the next band director in Hawaii and do all the marching festivals and all that, all that stuff that they do. the Long hours. Um, when I finished my undergraduate, I wasn't happy with what I sounded like on the saxophone and there is a gentleman that lives in new york his name is alan juan and he studied with harvey patel and he's about the second generation to study with harvey from hawaii uh, the first one being Kazunabe, which alan studied with and then alan went to study with harvey in manis and as i finished my bachelor's degree alan had come back to hawaii for a visit and i played for him a lesson Gave him my recital tape. And he said, well, you're probably the top classical player in Hawaii right now. And I said, that's pretty sad. <laughs> I mean, I'm a college student. There's got to be somebody else better classically. He said, no, you're probably it. And I said, well, I don't, I'm not really happy with what I sound like and how I play the saxophone. I want, I want something more. So he called Harvey. He said, come back in two days. Called Harvey up. And I came back, he said, well, if you want to study with Harvey Patel, he'll take you as a student. He's interested in you. So that was my foot in the door. And I got my master's degree, and I came back to Hawaii, and I said, I don't think I can be a band director. That's that's not going to be for me. So, yeah, my plan was to be a band director, but it kind of changed after that.
0: So Harvey Patel must have had countless requests for students to go and study with him. Mm -hmm. Did he have a particular connection with uh, Hawaii?
1: Definitely. Harvey was in the West Point band during the Vietnam era and had a saxophone quartet. One of the gentlemen that was in the quartet was from Hawaii. So they came and did a tour, I think around 1969. They toured several islands and stayed here for several weeks and performed and from the generation before me, band directors, they still remember what Harvey sounds like. And he has a, he has a truly beautiful uh, sound and playing method. So that established him in Hawaii. And, and so whenever he came back and he's been back many times, people still remember him.
0: Do you think that connection of your teacher having studied with him as well Um, like almost in generations. Do you think that's an important part of learning music?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I never thought about that. But it does give us a foundation to work off of since he's had such a big influence in Hawaii for I would say at least three, maybe three generations of players. Um, Everybody kind of has a concept about what his playing style is so you play with very full sounds and it's not always what everybody likes but in Hawaii it's pretty established here
0: now could you describe i mean it, there might not be a big difference but could you describe the differences of teaching styles that you encountered when you were a student
1: well i only studied with one other gentleman who wasn't from that school of playing, and he was a wonderful he was a wonderful man and taught here at the university and he played with a much lighter sound it was beautiful um, and very even, very light and it was beautiful and but for me, that wasn't what I wanted to sound like. I still wanted something. Uh, a little bit more and because I also do more than classical playing I I wanted a system of playing that would allow me to do every type of music that I wanted to play.
0: How important is being flexible in in style here for you just to work?
1: In Hawaii, well, I think, it's, I think it's very important to be flexible as a player. I think that would apply anywhere in the world. The more hats you can wear, the more work you're gonna get. And although I formally trained as a classical saxophonist, majority of my work is not classical. I think I'm playing every other style most, most times of the week. Uh, rock and roll, pop music, Reggae bands. Um, I've done salsa bands too, but uh, I still love playing classical. I mean, I love it all, and that's why I chose saxophone at, at a young age because I wanted to play every style of music.
0: So it's more you love to play the saxophone as opposed to play a specific style of music. Sure, if it, as long as it involves the saxophone, you're happy.
1: I am happy playing <laughs> playing music. That's 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 my that's my joy. It's kind of like. Uh, Food. I love eating. I love eating all kinds of food. So if I were relegated to just eat one type of food all the time, I probably wouldn't uh, be as happy, although I might be skinnier or something
0: <laughs> like that. <laughs> I do see I, maybe there's two ways to do this, but I see people specializing more mm-hmm. where they're doing the opposite of what you're describing. But at the same time, I also meet a lot of people who are very comfortable crossing between different styles. Do you think we can sometimes get too caught up in one style? Can we be too focused?
1: Possibly. My attitude towards music is um, a little bit, like my philosophy about life and trying to get as much experiences in life as possible, trying to absorb as many things in this world that we can. And in turn, letting that become part of yourself and being able to reflect that in music gives you, I think, a bigger palette to work from.
0: Now that uh, you are the university teacher, (laughs) is there one thing you find yourself repeating to your students that you think is very helpful to them?
1: Other than practicing? (laughs) They don't do that? (laughs) Uh, It's questionable at times. The big picture about taking care of business and doing everything that needs to be done for for whatever responsibilities you have and trying to illustrate that um, by how I live my life. And hopefully I'm doing something right and trying to instill them values that are important. That, that That's important for anything we do, I feel. You can't just take care of one aspect of your life, like just saxophone. Life is much more complex than that. But if you understand how to take care of certain aspects of your life, hopefully that will follow through in every other part of your life too.
0: Now you're quite busy performing mm-hmm. as well as teaching. How do you balance or juggle, either way, uh, those two activities?
1: So one at a time. I just focus on what's coming up and uh, that has to be the most important thing. And there's there's times where I've uh, literally had to play a major classical piece and the very next night I'm playing you know, with a reggae band and the night after that, playing rock and roll someplace. So all I can do is just focus on what's at hand and take it as it comes.
0: Now, you have, perhaps it's an unusual position, but you also have a job as, as a band member, right? Yes. So some people would be happy just to have one job or the other job, but you seem to keep everything going. What are the, what are the sort of weekly commitments with your band?
1: Uh, my, my, my day job is the Royal Hawaiian Band, which is the only full-time municipal band in the United States. And it was uh, created in eighteen. 1870. I should know this, but uh, <laughs> it slipped my mind. By, but it was established by King Kamehameha III, who was from the monarchy era. And he created the band for the people to bring music and all of the all of the aesthetics that come from having a, a musical organization uh, I believe it was set up before the Honolulu Symphony so that was the performing group uh, of Hawaii and subsequently it became uh, agency of the city and county so we're we're civil servants mm-hmm. and it's a great job to have it allows me to be a musician as a living, so that that is great. Um, one of my goals when I came back to Hawaii was I, I read uh, Marcel Mule's biography, and he was the saxophonist in the Guard Republican Band and taught at the Paris Conservatory. And I thought that is that is a great way to do it. So <laughs> I could teach at the university and play in the Royal Hawaiian Band, and that was kind of my goal on how to keep myself going
0: Mm. now you mentioned before we got here that you were recently married
1: yes yes
0: how you've introduced yet another element to your busy schedule (laughs) what does your wife uh think of all your musical activities
1: well i'm fortunate because she she's a musician too yeah, uh, she's a phenomenal clarinetist and she plays with the hawaii symphony orchestra and teaches so she understands what it is to be a musician so she is very understanding about that and she's i think pretty proud of what i do as a musician so uh, she's very understanding and that's so i lucked out <laughs> <laughs>
0: How would you describe the way that you practice now compared to your practicing when you were a student?
1: Well, definitely when you're a student you have much more time to practice. And it was it was common for me to practice at least 4 hours a day on top of having 4 hours of ensemble work. Now, it's I'm not that my life is not that luxurious. <laughs> so, if I have an engagement, important engagement, coming up uh, I will buckle down and and practice and something usually gets sacrificed along the way might not be able to get to the gym or or uh, have any leisure time but that's something that we all have to do is take care of our responsibilities
0: what is your typical practice routine Um, let's say you've got a a big performance coming Mm -hmm. up what would you do
1: I practice my warm-ups uh, for, for myself, uh, practicing overtones, uh, whatever you want to call it. Other people have other terms for it, but we match overtones. Then I'll go through my scale books, um, and maybe I'll run through some etudes if, if I have enough time just to keep myself going. And then it's focus on whatever piece is coming up. And uh, I think just covering the basics every day, your overtones, your scales, it really helps to keep you uh, in shape.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. How how much
0: of your music is done from memory? How, how important that is? Is that
1: to you in your music performance? Classically, I don't think I do too much just off of my memory. Pop music, jazz, some of the reggae bands I play with, and yeah, or and uh, yeah, a lot of it is by memory. Um, but uh, I think it's important if you have that kind of skill for memory. I don't have great memory, but uh, if you got it, yeah, I think that's terrific.
0: Is it something you work on with your students to train them or to encourage them to try it at least?
1: I haven't, uh, just because I don't. I don't want to sound hypocritical to tell them, <laughs> "Well, you got to have this memorized," and and I can't do it myself. I think the main thing is that they get whatever's on that page out and 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 all the nuances and whatever they put into themselves uh, into the music if they can get that out then i think that's a success
0: now you've been playing already for quite a while Mm -hmm. is there something that you do you mentioned going to the gym but is there something that you do when you're playing that ensures that you don't injure yourself that you're you know you're gonna be able to keep playing for a long time
1: well i i think the methodology of playing, which I learned from my teacher Harvey Patel, which he learned, I believe, from Joe Allard. Who, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joe Allard, but he he taught thousands and thousands of players. And about not having any tension on the embouchure as you play, I think that really helps to save my save my chops, as as it were. And that's why we could practice for four or five hours and not really feel much fatigue physically on the embouchure just mentally and just the rest of your body huffing and puffing on the horn but i think that system of playing is is very helpful for for being a player
0: (laughs) would you say that your musical career has evolved I don't want to say by chance, but let's say more organically, or were you really specifically looking to do certain things and tick them off and work your way through?
1: Oh, man, I really didn't have huge plans or huge goals. I kind of take it very very organically, is as whatever comes my way. And but I have had a couple of things that I am very thrilled to have had the opportunity. Um, one was in, uh, becoming a member for a while of my teacher's quartet, the Harvey Patel Saxophone Quartet. That was a huge honor to be asked to play with the group. That was a group that I heard growing up. So to be asked to be able to be a member, that that was a thrill. On the commercial side, there's a local group that's been around for about 45 years they're called Kalapana. They're a surf rock band, pop music, and that was a group that I heard when I was, I think I must have been like second grade, and I heard their music, and it was just phenomenal and still is phenomenal to me, and I became a member of the band about 14 or 15 years ago, and it's been a great experience playing with them, just playing with one of my musical heroes growing up. Yep. So that those just kind of happen by chance.
0: Yep. How important has the recording of the albums you've done been to the development of your playing?
1: I'm not sure as far as development of my playing, but I think getting the knowledge that you learn from doing a recording has has really helped me evolve as a as a professional. Yeah, it's uh it's quite a journey as as anybody who has done a recording knows. It's it's quite uh quite difficult. They always say the easiest part is the playing. <laughs> and all the other work is what surrounds it.
0: Do you find the albums have been useful career wise as a promotional tool?
1: It's a nice thing to hand out I guess. Yeah. I don't I don't think I've made that big a splash with my recordings. It's funny my first CD was released oh more than 10 years ago maybe uh maybe even about 13 years ago and it was just recently played on a on a show on NPR. I think it's called Exploring Music and just by chance they featured uh, Hawaii music, and for whatever reason, my my class, my piece was on that show, I mean, 13 years later. That's for my first uh, CD. So maybe in another 10 years, somebody will listen to my second CD. <laughs> <laughs>
0: how, how important is working with composers from Hawaii um, to your development of the classical music?
1: I think working with composers is, is very important. It doesn't matter where they're from. Composers, that's, that's a great... It's a great thing for musicians to make connections with composers. They want to write music. They want to know musicians. And it can really help your career, I believe, if you play composers' music. they I oh, want you to come to our school or wherever they are and premiere this piece. And if you love to perform, yeah, that's, that's great. And I've found that most composers are just fantastic people they are just willing to to work with you and create something uh for your instrument and that's that's always been a real joy i think every composer that i've met has just been fantastic just wonderful people
0: do you encourage your students to collaborate let's say with the younger composers you know the students collaborating with students
1: i do i think it's a good thing for all musicians to approach composers and and uh Ask them if, if they'll write for your instrument. And we still do that. I have a nonprofit foundation called the Hawaii Saxophone Foundation, and we're a nonprofit. And one of the things that we do is uh, commission composers to write saxophone music. So we've had about three commissions now, and it's just a joy to be able to get something new for your instrument and and promote the instrument. We are in a time where we, it's just far reaching around the world now. We can we can meet people from anywhere and to be able to have something created it's just that's I think that should be the goal for for all of us.
0: How do you go about raising funds for your not not, prof,
1: not for profit? Uh we we have some Events that we will have silent auctions or we have uh, food uh, uh, events we did a wine and food pairing and we sell tickets and and those profits go into our foundation for compositions we also do s- scholarships and also provide schools with equipment so that's our our uh, our mission is to bring uh, awareness and elevate saxophone education.
0: Great. Now you're organizing other things as well because I can see on your wall here you've got the saxophone masterclass and David Sambourne's up there. That has become a regular event, right?
1: It is. We, We do about four to six masterclasses whenever there's a visiting saxophonist. We offer to host a masterclass and we provide it free of charge for the public and it's our way of just trying to elevate music education and it's been quite successful we've gotten several uh, outstanding saxophonists who have come through and it's uh, it's kind of a a joy for me trying not to uh, fanboy out on some of the the guests <laughs> that we had in our in our master classes but they've all been terrific people
0: that's a, a very worthwhile project.
1: I, I, I think so. I really think we're trying to elevate things here in Hawaii.
0: Sure. I'm a, I'm a bit curious because um, I'm from an island. Maybe a the, one. Maybe the landmass is a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, Australians always talk about the sense of isolation in terms right. of the world. Um, and we are physically a long way from other people. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go somewhere else, it's an effort. Uh, it's a long way, it's expensive, all of that. Is there an element of that here in Hawaii, you, a long way in a sense? Um, not Maybe not culturally, but distance-wise, you're a long way from mainland America.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think Hawaii is the most isolated place in the world. I think the closest landmass we have is over 2,500 miles away, which would be California. So, it is difficult and being so far away it's easy to not get any recognition for for what we do it's easier now i think if you really want to make a name for yourself with the internet and all of that that's that's a great tool to to be able to promote yourself and yeah it it is tough and people used to say if it's almost impossible to have a career living in hawaii but i think it's uh, i think things are changing and it's just left up to the individual how much they want to promote themselves and get out.
0: How important was it for you to return home, in a sense, after your master's degree? Did, had you planned to come back home? Were you, had you considered to stay in mainland?
1: Sure. I, I definitely had had thoughts about staying on the mainland. Um kind of wasn't sure where to go after I finished my master's degree, but I really loved it in Austin at the time. But I came back to Hawaii and kind of rechanged my focus that I would try to pass along information to the next generation about how to play the saxophone and how to try to get to a higher level from whatever I can do to help students.
0: Do you encourage your students also to venture away?
1: I, I have. I have, if that's what they are uh, wanting to do, I definitely try to help them and have um, help students pursue degrees elsewhere. Yeah.
0: Australia has, uh, not just in music, but in general, a lot of people take a gap year where after high school or after university, they will take a year off. Usually it's to travel, um, to visit wherever their families came from in the world, uh, an island of immigrants in Australia, and it's very common that students take a year off. And often in that one year, it's actual chance to find their path, find out what they want to do. And it's just by removing themselves from their everyday culture, they've got a bit more time to consider what they want to do with themselves. And I think students travelling elsewhere to study are much more likely to reflect on those sorts of questions just because they're away from home and they're not influenced by the everyday routine of, you know, family life. That's
1: interesting. I didn't know that about uh, Australia.
0: You'll see Australians everywhere. (laughs) 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 Hopefully doing the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) How important is the creative process in, in, you're talking about jazz and things before, but how important is improvising and the compositional side of music in your own music?
1: Importance improvisation. I think... If that is something that you are connected to inside of yourself and that is a source of expressing yourself, then fantastic. Then then do it. Um, I think it's a good thing for all students to be first in all styles of music. Again, the more experiences you get for yourself, the more you have to offer. So improvisation was something that I started out young, uh, I loved listening to jazz and fusion jazz when I was growing up, and that became a part of who I am, I think, as a player.
0: Do you think improvising is something that we lose the ability to do or is it something that we discover how to do
1: oh i think I think anybody can do it if they want to do it, and i I will be the first to profess I am not like a serious, mainstream jazz guy. I'm not. I'm not like like John Gordon or or Branford or or any of those phenomenal players as far as improvisation. But uh, I do what I can, and uh, I guess it's been okay.
0: Now I've got a few questions that are just quick. You can okay, quick question, quick answer, whatever comes to mind. All right. Is there something that you believe that few people agree with?
1: Is this a short answer? <laughs> wow. I that's a good question. You know there's there's going to be a lot of people that don't agree with what I think about the saxophone. And and that's fine. I'm totally okay with it. It's a big world. Everybody should have their own opinion.
0: If you just had one piece of music that you could play from now on, what piece would it be?
1: <laughs> oh man. These are great questions. I have no idea. One piece of music, Iber, concertina the camera. it's so hard. You can spend a lifetime learning that.
0: And there's still more to do. Yes. <laughs> if you just had one hour to practice, how would you spend your time?
1: I would do my overtones. I would play my scales. I think those are the fundamentals that that get us to be able to play whatever we want. So uh, just an hour five minutes overtones, half an hour scales, and then perhaps an etude.
0: Who's a person that you've had contact with who you would consider to be a big uh, contributor to the development of the saxophone throughout the world?
1: Well, I still have to recognize my my teacher, Harvey Patel. I think he has really created a school of playing that is is truly wonderful. And What I like about that is that he never really wants you to sound like him. He wants you to sound like you and never, ever said to sound like him, but gave us the fundamentals which allow us to be able to sound like what we sound like. Mm. So that would be the person for me, I think. Sure.
0: What's the most important thing that you do before you walk on stage so that you going to be playing at your best? Breathe. hmm Is there a, sp- a special, special now, type of breath you take?
1: The same type of breathing that I do when I play, which is just uh, filling the lungs from the top down, which I'm sure people are gonna argue with me about that, but <laughs> it's kind of more a singer's way of breathing. And it allows you to have a full breath. And I think if you do 10 of those, Before you go on, I think that's quite helpful.
0: If you don't do that, do you notice a difference?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, Beyond that, getting a good warm-up before you walk on stage, I think, is uh, most
0: helpful. Looking back, I guess with hindsight, is there a piece of advice you would like to give your younger self when you were just starting out?
1: Yeah, get serious sooner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Serious sooner. Yeah, it's good. It's
1: brief. Time, time is, time is flying by, mm. and we don't realize all that time that might have been wasted or opportunities to learn.
0: Mm. Do you think that waste of time is something that we can teach the students to be efficient with their time, or is it just a process that we have to go through and whittle away our hours, nothing happening?
1: Perhaps we all need to find our own time uh, in our life that we find ourselves. And I I know for myself, I needed to find myself before I got serious. So I think to each their own. The way I think about it is I really
0: like to waste time, (laughs) but I hate my time being wasted. That's great. And as long as I'm in in charge of that, Mm -hmm. I'm happy.
1: That's terrific.
0: What are some of the changes you've seen in the development of the saxophone over the last, you know, couple of decades, that um, that maybe have surprised you, and then what are some things that haven't changed at all that have also surprised you?
1: Um, as far as saxophone, I think the repertoire has gotten much harder, much more challenging, and what composers are writing, and for what the what the students can do now is just phenomenal. Wow. When I hear these competitions for college students, I'm blown away by what they can do and the facility that they have is incredible so that's really ramped up I would say within the last 10-20 years the level of playing is just so high and also the development of saxophone choirs or saxophone ensembles have really taken off Um, when we started ours in Hawaii uh, 23 years ago it was really difficult just to find public publications for large saxophone ensemble and it seems like i've turned around now and they are everywhere in the world uh, australia japan has so many phenomenal groups large groups and across the united states too there's just amazing saxophone ensembles out there i'm just like wow what, when when did this all change <laughs> within the last 20 years they're everywhere which is terrific i think that's great I think what hasn't changed is um, uh, just what great, melodic, beautiful saxophone playing is. Mm. Uh, And that should always be with us. Now,
0: where can people find out more about your activities?
1: They can look up my website, toddyukumoto.com, which uh, I try to keep current, but not always not always the most up-to-date. Beyond that, the Hawaii Saxophone Foundation, if you take a look on that, we do quite a bit uh, trying to do some good work here in Hawaii. Mm. So, you can check out those websites.
0: So, we can find your music online, uh, which is excellent. Now, finally, you've made already such a large and broad contribution to saxophone. What is coming up next for you in the, you know, in the foreseeable future. What's something you would really like to work on?
1: I think I'd like to work on doing a commercial album. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like a like a contemporary jazz album. That's something that I've been hounded by several producers to do, and I just haven't really made the time to do something like that. But that would that would be something on my bucket list to do Mm. i think that would be a fun project
0: great now we can hear the saxophones practicing in the background here
1: yeah which is
0: it's late at night it's really impressive
1: (laughs) well maybe they do listen to me who
0: knows uh todd thanks very much for your time this evening it's been great to meet you thanks likewise i've also enjoyed visiting your beautiful state thank you
1: welcome welcome back anytime great Thanks. (laughs) Good on you. Thanks,
0: Todd. Thank you. Just before you go, a quick reminder to let you know that show notes, any links, and a full text transcript are also available. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review for the show by visiting barrysacks.com forward slash iTunes. You can subscribe for a new episode each week. And thanks again for joining me and my guests on Barry Sachs Show.